Now, let's get into the teaching of the word today. Uh, We are concluding our series called After God's Own Heart. This is part eight of an eight-part series. You guys know I have loved this series. I have found it to be tremendously encouraging. There's been so much good stuff that has come out of it. We have looked at so many aspects of David's life as a man after God's own heart. The great things about his life and the great failures of his life so that we can learn things about being a person after God's own heart. And so today in our final part, we're going to look at David the warrior. David the warrior. All right? And, and uh, um, personally, I, first off, I was never called into the military. You know, part of that was is from ages 18 to 22, which is kind of the prime time when people join the military. I was in the height of my addiction, and I was in and out of jail, and joining the military was the last thing on my mind. Okay? So, um, but... That just wasn't my calling. God has called me to serve in different ways. But throughout my adult life, I just absolutely love war movies, right? There is just something about war movies that just stirs my spirit, whether it's the camaraderie or the courage or the heroism or the sacrifice, you know, whatever the case may be. And war movies can be hard to watch because they're pretty violent. And sometimes the language can be salty just because, you know, that's probably how they talk when they're getting shot at. But, um, you know, so whether it's Saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge or We Were Soldiers. I just, I love war movies. Now, I understand not everybody gets excited about war, right? There's a lot of negative things about war and people have uh, experiences and stuff. And so, um, and so I want to try to balance myself that, yes, I get excited talking about war stuff. But when it comes to preaching the word of God, we've got to understand that, uh, that there are physical wars and there are spiritual wars. And everything we learn about physical wars, we are called to apply to spiritual wars. All right, and that's what today is really going to be about. Now, I know that God is working in me and that I'm fired up today because last night I had a dream. Now, you have to understand that normally I don't even remember my dreams. Like, I just wake up and Shannon's like, what'd you dream about? Oh, I don't remember. Or if I do remember, it's so full of nonsense and weirdness, right? Like, that was just the strangest thing. Like, what is going on in my brain? Okay, so, so most of my dreams are irrelevant. But last night's... I dreamed about casting a demon out of somebody, right? And this thing was vivid, man. This guy was on the ground, slithering like a snake. And I come in praying in tongues, just powerful, laying my hands on this guy. And next thing you know, the guy stands up and he's of his right mind. And I wake up and I'm like, that was awesome. So I am ready to go today, all right? I am ready to go. We're going to talk about David the warrior. If you've got your notes, you can find them in your bulletin or on the church app. They're attached to this video, and they're also attached to this podcast. You can see our big picture today is this, that David's conquests in war show us how to be warriors for God in the age of spiritual warfare. So again, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the actual wars that David fought in the physical And we're going to apply them to our lives in the spiritual wars that we've been called to fight. That's our goal today. Everybody with me? Let's do this. Let's look at David, a warrior for God. You can see in your notes I've got 
uh, kind of four main thoughts that God really revealed to me as, as I studied David. And I put three of the chapters that I studied in your notes. There's more chapters on David's warfare, but uh, those were kind of the three that, that I really honed in on as, as, as I prepared this message so let's jump into this. The first thought I want us to glean from understanding David as a warrior for God is that the battle belongs to the Lord. We just sang that song today. The battle belongs to the Lord. What does that mean? It means that David was successful in battle because God was with him. Right? Not because there was anything that, that necessarily set David apart. Now, you know, David was skilled, but lots of people were skilled in war, Right? You know, I mean, it's just like, you know, if you're good at something, there's lots of people that are good at it, right? What sets you apart? You know, people that dream of playing professional sports, like you got to be the best of the best of the best and less than a fraction of 1% of people actually make it to playing professional sports. Why? Because there's a lot of people skilled at what you do. There are a lot of people in the world that were skilled at war. What set David apart is that God was with him. Right, let's go to 1 Samuel 18, and, and chronologically, this is right after David fought Goliath. Right? And so David already declared that he understood because he said, God's the one who's going to give me victory over this giant. Right? So 1 Samuel 18 and verse 5, it says, So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Then if we skip down to verse 12, it says, Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as a commander of a thousand. And he went out and he came in before the people. David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, and he went out and came in before them. Right. So we see Saul understood it. God had removed his hand of blessing from Saul's life. And so Saul was tormented by spirits and, and everything. And so Saul was no longer successful in battle or in the things he'd been called to do. But David, God's hand of blessing was upon him. And it was obvious. Everyone could see it. Saul could see it and dreaded it. The people of Israel could see it and loved David for it. But God was with him. The first thing we need to understand as we go out to be warriors for the Lord is that it has nothing to do with our skill. What sets us apart is that God is with us. Now, David displayed that he understood this in one of his battles with a king named Hadadezer. It says that David captured 1,700 horsemen from Hadadezer. Now, other translations say that he captured a 1,000 chariots and 700 horsemen. Another translation says he captured a 1,000 chariots and 7,000 horsemen, right? So in the ancient text, we don't know exactly which number is right, but we know that, that he captured enough chariots and horses for at least a 1,000 chariots and possibly for thousands of more horsemen, but he only kept enough for 100 chariots, Right, we read this in 2 Samuel 8.4. David captured from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung the, the chariot horses, but reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. Now, I know for the animal rights people, this is very upsetting that David purposefully maimed thousands of horses. 
But you got to understand, bad things happen in war. And David had all of these horses. He didn't want to keep them for himself, but it would have been bad decision-making to give them back to the enemy. So he had to hamstring them so that the enemy could no longer use them. But the significance of what I'm trying to get at here is David had all of these horses, thousands of horses. And he decided to only keep enough for 100 chariots. Why does that bring our point home? Because David wrote in Psalms 20, he wrote this. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Or how about Psalm 33, which is not directly attributed to David, but it's right in the middle of a bunch of other psalms that are directly attributed to David, so there's a good chance he wrote it. it. says, the king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Right? David understood the battle belonged to the Lord. These horses are not going to win the battle for me. I could keep all of them, and it wouldn't matter. What matters is that God is with me. You guys feeling me? David was successful because God was with him. The second thing I want to encourage us with today is to fight with God's strategy. To fight with God's strategy. Let's read 1 Chronicles 14 together. We're going to start in verse 8. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up in search of David. Check this out. What, what do we know happened? We know that David first became the king of Judah, and then there were seven and a half years of civil war before David was installed as the king over all Israel. The moment David is installed as the king over all of Israel, the enemy comes hunting for him. Listen, when God establishes you in a new thing in your life, when he puts you in a new place of authority, a new anointing for ministry, you got to understand the first thing that's going to happen is the enemy's going to come hunting for you. That's why it's so important that we understand this concept of being warriors. Now the Philistines, sorry, verse 9, now the Philistines had come and made a raid in the valley of Rephaim. David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and will you give them into my hand? And then the Lord said to him, Go up, for I will give them into your hand. So they came up to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore they named that place Baal-perazim, which means God breaks through. They abandoned their gods there, so David gave the order, and they were burned with fire, right? So they win this great victory. They break through the Philistines. The Philistines abandoned all their idols, and so David burns all their idols. And then what happens next? The Philistines made yet another raid in the valley, verse 13. So David inquired again of God, and God said to him, You shall not go up after them, but you shall circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you shall go out to battle. Can I just stop right now and say this? That when you hear the sound of God moving, get in the fights. That's the time to get in the fights. 
Now, it'd be awesome if we heard the sound of angels marching in the tops of our palm trees. Hallelujah. But in whatever fashion, when you hear the sound of God moving, get in the fight. Don't just sit back and do nothing. He says, when you hear the sound, get in the fight. David did just as God had commanded him, and they struck down the army of the Philistines from Gibeon even as far as Gezer. So what's significant about this story? Well, we've got two battles. They happen in the same location, the Valley of Rephaim, right? So you've got two battles in the exact same location, which means same terrain, same topography, everything. You've got the same enemy, the Philistine raiding parties. So you got the same place, the same enemy, so you know your enemy, you know the topography, you know the landscape, you know everything, and yet God gave two different strategies to fight the same battle. And that's why my encouragement today is this, is that as warriors, we have got to fight with God's strategy. Now, I read this quote from this British theologian, Adam Clark, and this just shook me. And so I want to share it with you, and I just want to talk about how it shook me and, and, and why it's impacting me. He says this, How is it that such supernatural directions and assistances are not communicated now? Basically, Adam Clark is saying, why are we not hearing the same variety of instructions from God that David heard from God? Why are we not getting these same directions and assistances communicated now? His answer because they are not asked for. And they are not asked for because they are not expected. And they are not expected because men have not faith. And they have not faith because they're under a refined spirit of atheism. And they have no spiritual intercourse with their maker. Now the significance is that Adam Clark wrote this in the early 1800s. Which makes sense because nobody says spiritual intercourse today. But... What he's saying is the reason we're not getting such specific variety of instructions from God for our lives and our battles today is because we're not asking for them. David asked for them. And why are we not asking for them? Because we don't have faith. And why do we not have faith? Because we're living under a refined spirit of atheism. What does that mean? That means that, yes, we proclaim a faith in God. And that, yes, we're followers of Jesus and we go to church. But we live under the spirit of a culture that causes us to live as if there is no God. Yeah, I believe in God and he's out there, but I don't live in such a way that God actually impacts my day-to-day -day life. It's a refined spirit of atheism. You guys with me on that? You understand that? Why are we not getting these creative battle plans? Why are we not getting these creative strategies to take new ground in our lives? Because we've been seduced by a spirit of today's culture that has caused us to live as if God has no influence on our life. We need to get back to a level of faith where we ask God for his strategy and he'll give us his strategy because we have faith to hear it. And then when we act out his strategy, we're going to see a variety of victories that we have not been seeing. Can I get a hallelujah for that? Come on. We've got to fight with God's strategy. I have no t idea what time I started, so now I have no idea if I'm going long. So we're just going to go for it. Hallelujah. 
Third idea is this, that if we're going to be warriors for God, we have got to fight with unity and with purpose. Let's talk about unity. You'll notice that the kingdom of Israel did not win any battles or take any ground during the seven and a half years that they were fighting with each other. Right? If we're going to take ground as a people of God, we've got to make sure that we're not fighting each other, that we're in unity with one another, and that in that unity, we can fight the real enemy. Amen? So there's got to be a unity to what we're doing as warriors for God. And then there has to be a purpose. Listen, we should not desire war. Right? There is something wrong if we want to go to war. Right? I mean, there's a philosophical question of even asking, is God the God of war? And we don't have time to get too deep into it, but my answer would be no. God is a God of peace. War is the result of the brokenness of the curse of sin. Now, clearly, if you read your Bible, you understand that God has used war to fulfill his purposes and also to hand out his judgment. But that doesn't mean that he's a God of war. He is a God of peace. God has chosen to use war because of the brokenness of humanity. So we shouldn't desire war, right? If we get excited about war, our heart is not in the right place. But if we are going to go to war, we need to make sure that we have a purpose for going to war. You can look at the wars in the history of America and, and the ones that had the least amount of public supports were the ones where there was either no understandable purpose or people didn't like the purpose, right? You guys tracking with me? we got to fight with purpose. And so what is the purpose of going to war? What did David accomplish by going to war? The first one was to expand kingdom influence and power. David expanded the influence and the power of the kingdom of Israel. Think about this. Just from reading 2 Samuel chapters 8 and chapters 10, we know that David subdued and brought into tribute the kingdoms of the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Aramaeans, and parts of Syria. So I've got some slides. Now, I don't think you're going to be able to see them on the digital campus, so I apologize. That's why it's best to come to church in person. Hallelujah. But we've got some slides. This first one, we're looking at the Holy Land. We're looking at Israel. And every single one of those red squares is one of David's victories in battle that is recorded in the Bible. And so you can see a huge bunch of them centered in southern Israel. That's kind of that upper left quadrant of the slide. And that's mainly where he's fighting the Philistines and those that were trying to invade Israel. But all of those red squares around the outside, every one of those was David subduing a kingdom that expanded the influence of the kingdom of Israel. So in the next slide, you can see that the blue is the proper kingdom of Israel, the promised land, right? Which you've got the, the nine and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan River, and then you've got the two and a half tribes on the west side of the, or, or vice versa, west, and then the east side of the Jordan River. But then what you see in this map is that all of those kingdoms written in red were the kingdoms that David subdued. And so what that looks like then is that if we go to the next slide... The red 
is modern-day Israel. The proper borders of the nation of Israel today is the red. The yellow is the kingdom that Solomon inherited from his father David. So what you can see is that David more than doubled the landmass of the kingdom of Israel. He expanded the power and the influence of the kingdom. And so why do we go to war? To expand the power and the influence of the kingdom of God. It's to take ground for God and to push back the enemy. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to assume that you guys are in awe, but that you're just excited about this concept. All right. The second purpose, why do we go to war, was to protect God's people. Anytime an invading army came towards Israel, David went to war. He was going to protect the people of God. So why do we go to spiritual war? To protect the people of God. And finally, what was the purpose of going to war? To gather the spoils for God's purposes. To gather the spoils for God's purposes. 2 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 7. David took the shields of gold which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. From Beta and from Barothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a very large amount of bronze. Now when Toi, or Toi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, Toi sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been at war with Toi. And Joam brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Aram and Moab, the sons of Ammon, the Philistines, and Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah. So what you see here is there was a lot of spoils of war. Shields of gold and very large amounts of bronze and gold and silver that they had looted from all of these kingdoms. And then you even had people coming and just delivering gold and silver just to say thank you for winning those battles. They got all of this gold and silver. Why is this significant? Because earlier today we read First Chronicles 29. And what did David say to the people? He said, I have already gathered plenty of materials for building the kingdom." And then on top of that, he said, I'm going to donate my own money. And then on top of that, he asked the children of Israel to donate their own money. Where did all those resources come from before anybody started donating? From all the battles that he had won. So I want you guys to put this together. David had an abundance of resources because of all the battles he had won, and that abundance of resources fulfilled the purposes of God by building a temple where the glory of God could rest among the children of Israel. When we win victories, we get spoils, and those spoils help us accomplish God's purposes moving forward. Every victory we win gives us something, whether it's a physical resource like money, or whether it's a spiritual resource or a spiritual gift or a boost of our faith, every battle that we win gives us something so that we can advance the purposes of God forward. It's to gather the spoils for God's purposes. The last thought I want to share with you about King David before we transition to New Testament warfare is to dedicate the trophies to the Lord. Dedicate the trophies to the Lord. 
What I love about King David is he didn't just talk to God before the battle. He rejoiced with God after the battle. And he dedicated all the trophies to the Lord, a reminder that it was God that won the battle, not David. I want to encourage you today, don't forget God after the battle is over. That's our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to cry out to God when we're in crisis. God, the enemy's coming against me. God, I don't know what to do. God, I need a miracle. And then we get a miracle, and then we go about our lives. We talk to God before the fights, but we forget about God after the fight. I want to remind us, as David did, to dedicate the trophies to the Lord. One of the pictures I love is that he took these gold shields from Hadadezer and he brought them back to Jerusalem. Now, the Bible doesn't say specifically where he set them up, but I'm guessing he set them up somewhere prominent where everybody could see them, right? Somewhere maybe outside of his palace. You've got all of these gold shields, and he didn't just set them up. He dedicated them to the Lord. So now everybody that walked by that saw those gold shields hanging... It was a trophy. It was a reminder of God's victory in battle that God had delivered them from King Hadadezer. Right? When we dedicate our trophies to the Lord, we remind people of the victories that God could win. Our trophies today, man, sometimes they can be people. Man, there are people that are trophies of God's grace. That, man, their life was messed up and they were so far gone. And and we started praying for them. And we started doing warfare on their behalf. And the grace of God got a hold of them and changed their lives. And now they live for the glory of God. And now we can just say, man, look at that person. That's the grace of God all over them. God can win victories. Don't forget to dedicate the trophies to the Lord. Let's talk to God after the battle, not just before the battle. All right, let's change gears here. Let's go New Testament. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, he then describes the full armor of God and then gets to verse 18 where he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Right? And so Paul is saying, come on, we have got to be strong. We got to understand who the enemy is. We got to put on the full armor to fight. And then after he describes the full armor, what does he say? He says, pray and pray and keep on praying. Come on, pray in the spirit, pray in tongues, pray in a language you don't know, and pray in a heavenly language, but just keep praying. There's warfare going on. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes this, chapter 10 and verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. 
We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So let's try to lay down here a New Testament theology of warfare, all right? First off, we got to understand that physical wars are still a part of our human experience, and some are called to fight in those wars, right? And so as long as there are humans, as long as there is the curse of sin, there's going to be wars, right? We know that even right up till the end of times before Jesus comes back and brings a new heaven and a new earth so that we can live together in God's glory forever, we know that physical war is going to be a part of our human experience. And some are called to fight in those wars. And we praise God and we honor those who are willing to answer the call to fight in those wars. But that's not all of us. But in the New Testament, we live in the age of spiritual warfare, and all followers of Christ are called to be spiritual warriors. This is a war that we're all called to. This is one that we are all called to fight. There is a war going on, but this is important, and I know you've heard me say this many times before. People are never the enemy. People are never the enemy. The devil and his spiritual forces of darkness are the enemy. Now, the devil uses people, and those people can hurt us, attack us, annoy us, make us angry, whatever the case may be, but that person is not the enemy. It's the devil and his spiritual forces of darkness that are working behind that person that are the enemy, right? And we live in a day and age of polarization and divisiveness where everybody wants to make the other person the enemy, and as followers of Christ, we cannot do that, we are losing our influence and power of the kingdom of God when we do that. We just look and sound like everybody else. People are never the enemy. The devil and his spiritual forces of darkness are the enemy. And so if we're going to be spiritual warfares, we've got to fight the correct enemy, which means we've got to stop fighting each other, and we've got to stop fighting other people. And whether that's in person or on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you fight your fights, we've got to stop fighting other people. And start fighting the devil. So in spiritual warfare, we are to fight with the same unity and the same purposes that King David fought as a warrior. And so we are to advance the kingdom of God and expand the influence and power of the kingdom. You know, we put those maps up of the kingdom of Israel. I didn't get a chance to do it, but I just thought it would be cool to, like, look at a Google Maps picture of Kauai Bible Church right? And we're just this little plot of ground on this little island. And that would be the first circle is just Kauai Bible Church. But what if we started drawing other circles as we expanded the influence of the kingdom of God all around our island? And then what if the circle got bigger as we were expanding the kingdom influence to other islands? And what if it got bigger? What if it, what if it reached the South Pacific? What if it reached Far East Asia and Japan and the Philippines and Korea? And what if it went the other way and reached the coast of Mexico and the mainland? And what if, what if we had pictures of Kauai Bible Church? expanding the influence and the power of the kingdom of God. Come on, it would be amazing. That's the fight we're supposed to fight. We're supposed to protect the people of God. We go to war on, on each other's behalf. We pray for one another. We hold one another up. And we also collect the spoils of war so that we can continue to advance the purposes of God.
So let me have the worship team come back up today. So then what are the weapons of our warfare in this New Testament theology? Most of them are going to be pretty obvious to you, but I'm going to start with one that's maybe going to catch you off guard. One of the weapons of our warfare is obedience. Is obedience. Right? We love the idea of praying. We love the name of Jesus. We love all of that. But none of that means anything if we're not living a life of obedience. Think about this. King Saul and King David had access to the exact same resources. The exact same resources. The same people, the same money, the same weapons. They had the same exact access. And King Saul, after some early victories, had to continually retreat as the kingdom influence shrunk. And then when King David took over, you saw what he did when he expanded it. They had the exact same weapons. The only difference is that one was disobedient and one was obedient. If you're not living a life of obedience before the Lord, then the name of Jesus is nothing more than a lucky rabbit's foot that you're hoping will make a difference. Our weapon of warfare is our obedience. When we live in obedience, we have the favor and the presence of God upon our lives, and nothing can stand against that. But when we're living lives of hidden sin or willful sin or willful rebellion, then we've taken away the power of all the other weapons that we have. Our first weapon is obedience. And that's why in Corinthians, Paul said, we're going to take every thought into obedience. We're not going to let any thought, any mindset, any cultural concept make a stronghold in our lives. We're going to bring everything into obedience because that's the weapon that God has given us. The rest of the weapons you're probably pretty familiar with, right? Prayer is one of the greatest weapons God has given us. We go to spiritual warfare when we pray. Worship, one of the greatest weapons that God has given us. Man, in the Old Testament, there are so many stories of battles that were won because the people were singing praises to God. When David was choosing his worship team of 288 people, did you know that the Bible says that it was David and the commanders of his army that were choosing those 288 people? The commanders of the army were a part of choosing the worship leaders. Why? Because they understood that worship was warfare and that the worship leaders were an extension of the army. When we worship, we go to war. When we sing together, we are pushing back the enemy. When we sing together, we are taking ground. We've already talked about the name of Jesus today. Come on, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Everyone will submit. Now, we know that's a promise for eternity because today we can look around the world and see a bunch of knees that are not bowing to Jesus. But we know that that's also a declaration in the spiritual, that at the name of Jesus, every spiritual force must bow its knee and surrender itself to the name that is above every other name. If you can't think of anything else to say in the midst of your crisis, just say the name of Jesus. Come on. And finally, the Word of God. We can declare the Word of God over any situation that we are facing, over any attack, over any pain, over any struggle. We can declare the Word of God. Just get your Bible out. Start reading it out loud, and you're doing warfare. You're pushing back the enemy. You're winning victories. We're going to break through like the waters, like David declared at Baal Perazim. 
we're going to gather the spoils. And so the only way I could think to end a sermon like this is to go to war. And that's what I want to encourage us to do. I've just asked the worship team to just kind of begin to play some music. We're going to sing a song together before we're done. But before we start singing as part of our warfare, I want us to start praying and saying the name of Jesus as part of our warfare together. The Holy Spirit just brought great conviction upon me. You know, this message may not be new for most of us, but I think it's an important reminder. And the Holy Spirit just brought great conviction upon me because even as I thought about spiritual warfare, I think about my wife. My wife lives in chronic pain. She doesn't talk about it a lot because she doesn't want to be the center of attention, but she lives in chronic pain, and I have not fought enough warfare for my wife. I have not declared the name of Jesus or prayed or gone to battle enough on her behalf that she could see breakthrough in her life. Come on, we can go to spiritual warfare for our marriage, for our spouses. If our marriage isn't where we want it to be, then let's go to warfare so that we can take some ground for God in our marriage. We can go to warfare for our children. If our children have gone prodigal into the world or if they have not, it doesn't matter. We can do warfare for our kids so that we can take ground for our children so that they can live within the kingdom of God and they can understand the grace and the power they have. We can go to war for that. We can go to war for healing. Come on, we are going to go to war for Auntie Eileen. She needs a miracle. Come on, it's Jesus or nothing. And so we're going to declare Jesus. We're going to warfare for Auntie Eileen. We're, I mean, for Auntie Dolly as well. And, and believing for her complete healing and breakthrough. We can go to war for healing. We can go to war for provision. Come on, we can go to war for supernatural resources. We can go to war against the forces of this culture that are pushing against what God wants to do upon our island. We can go to war together with the weapons that he has given us, mighty for pulling down the fortresses of the enemy so that the kingdom of God can advance. Will you stand together with me? If you're on our digital campus, you can start going to war with us. If you're listening to the podcast, we're going to shut the podcast off probably right now. But wherever you're listening to this, in your car, in your home, wherever you are, you can start going to warfare right now. But here in church together, we're going to start going to war. Listen, if God leads you to leave your seat and go lay hands on somebody else because you want to do some warfare over their life, then be obedient to the Spirit and go do that. Whatever God puts on your heart for the purpose and the mission of Kauai Bible Church, for all the people on our island that need to get saved, for all the healing we want to see, for our marriages, for our children, whatever God puts on your heart right now, come on, let's just begin to go to warfare together.